Hello and welcome to Ask a Coach with Ngomu. My name is Al Wynant and today I am very excited to be speaking with Mo Field, with Coach Mo Field, who's already sharing the screen with me here. So um, we are going to be uh, talking about how uh, understanding the many aspects of the human experiences influences how we you know, approach problem solving and so on. So Mo, I'm so excited you're here today. It's great to be here with you, Al. Thanks for inviting me. You're very welcome. So talk to me a little bit about your background and what made you become a coach? Well, I think I fell into it accidentally. Um, <laughs> I think what made me become a coach mostly was actually watching my mother work with other people in life. Um, I come from a musical family. My mother was a concert pianist. Uh, my family traveled a lot with my father's job. So we moved from community to community and Everywhere we went, uh, rather than waiting to be invited into the community, my mother would basically host a party and invite the entire community to our house uh, so that we could learn about them and they could learn about us. So she was very um, instrumental in the idea of gathering and the sharing of community. Uh, and I think that that value was always instilled in me from a very early age that that idea of what brings us together uh, creates a sense of safety for everybody to enjoy one another and engage with one another. And all of my life, that has been a kind of a, a running theme. I've always been involved in theater. I, I am a musician. I'm a songwriter. I'm a performer. Um, and from that, I started being involved in more community groups and in working with harmony with large groups of people, large ensembles, very large ensembles and large choral organizations. and then teaching in these choral organizations and realizing that um, ultimately the human, the human experience always needs to have a sense of safety, creativity, autonomy, but also collaboration. And that, that juncture, that place, that nexus where all of that comes together has a tendency to bring out the best humanity in people. And so it's really the humanity piece that, I mean, this is a, a zoom from like year zero to today, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and there's a lot of stops in between that we could talk about. But overall, um, to answer the broader idea of the question, um, the real the real thrust in my life is really seeing the magic that happens uh, when people feel autonomously empowered um, and can do so in a collective way with with other people. Um, it seems to bring out the best in people. When we're left alone too, too much on our own, we tend to start listening to our own voices. <laughs> that is so true. So what? So you you still lead large groups in in in, in your day to day life, but where was the switch from? I can I can lead groups. I can be in a leadership position. To I want to coach. You know, where you're working with somebody one on one or still maybe even in groups. So what was the what was that sort of that impetus for that? Um, I I don't know if I understood that I had a capacity to lead. Actually, my first my first understanding that I had a capacity to be a leader actually happened when I was um, in the Air Force and I was a sharpshooting instructor um, in the reserves and. I was leading a class there. I had a, an accident with my ankle and I had to take some time off. Um, and 
it's strangely, I was a very hard nosed officer. <laughs> I was very. No. <laughs> <laughs> you might not know it to look at me today, but I was pretty, you know, I was a great drill instructor and I was, you know, hospital court. I was, I was pretty hard nosed, but I also just have, have this like love of people. So I think maybe somewhere they could see the, you know, the chewy inside from the, you know, crunchy on the outside, chewy on the inside. So when I had to take this time off because of this injury, um, a bunch of people that I thought, you know, thought I was very hard nosed ended up writing. There was talk of maybe replacing me and they ended up doing a, a writing campaign to my CEO to say, we want Mo back. And, and nice. uh, you know, uh, so then I realized, oh, I have an impact on people. And I hadn't really understood that I could have an impact on people that way. I think people that get into coaching might not, some people might get into coaching because they want to make an impact. Some people might discover coaching because they don't know that they make an impact, but they find from the response of people they get to work with that they do have an impact. Mm -hmm. And and, and so there's a couple of different ways to be motivated to be a coach. One of them would be, I, I want to make an impact. And one of them is, I get to have an impact. And, and there's a certain allowance there for, for the organic nature of what goes on in coaching to, to be altered, not only by the person that is coaching, but the, the people that are being coached. So um, it's always a, a vibrant and a, and a very alive experience, you know, when you come at it from that angle, instead of I have something I need to impart to you, but the things that I impart to you get changed by the way we have a conversation. And, and that, that idea has been building and building and building. And mostly I've been thrown into leadership uh, situations where I would have to just rise up and solve a lot of problems. And mm -hmm. I realized that the solving of the problems is more about coaching uh, than it is about manage, managing. Um, so that's, that's sort of when I realized there's another way to get people to feel self-motivated um, in order to, to, to achieve objectives. Um, and, and then of course, I, I was showing some good things from what I was doing with my own performing groups and people would contact me and say, how did you do that? And I get this question actually a lot from groups that, that, uh, that hire me. Uh, we have these objectives. We want to get this done. Can you come in for a weekend and do a workshop with us? Or can you come in for an evening and do a, a night with us? And I'll go in and I'll say, I can fix the product for you. I can coach you to fix the product, but the way the product is going to be sustainable is by actually doing all of this substrate work that actually where's your culture, what are your values? And that actually has more of an impact on, on the actual performance piece uh, or the, the execution of, of whatever the objective is than actually just putting Band-Aid pieces on what it looks like on the outside. So my, when I decided to become a coach is when I realized that that was the real that was the real game. It wasn't about let's just fix this to make it look good on the surface, but let's let's work with people and let's 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 be changed by the work that we do with people mm -hmm. so that you're everything's always growing. Everything's it's like a garden. It, it, it's there's there's no one right place to be. Coaching definitely is not a bandaid. It shouldn't be a bandaid. It should not be a bandaid. So what's the what's the 
biggest challenge you've you've had to overcome in becoming a coach? Um, I would say the biggest challenge I've had to overcome is having too many ideas and not being able to express them succinctly, um, um, not being able to boil it down. Uh, the challenge with coaching, it's different when it's one-on-one -on -one or maybe in a very small group because you can really, you, you can really profile that group. But profiling um, the, the group or the people or the person that is trying to be coached is really critical. Finding out what their pace is, um, what their, their needs, separating their needs from their wants, this sort of thing is probably one of the biggest challenges of the actual coaching for myself as a coach, the biggest challenge for me as a coach is is probably things like scheduling, <laughs> because, because you've got to fly like you've got to fly through time zones and like oh, I can't make it there on time because and, and actually it, the admin of of working with a lot of people is a bit of a challenge for me because you know I have I have certain executive functions that don't like to do that sort of thing because I'm very ADHD but. Uh, uh, so that is my private struggle would probably be um, keeping my schedule straight and keeping the admin straight. The actual coaching itself is profiling a group um, and take it's a huge responsibility to um, to know that you are you are entering somebody else's space and and you are dabbling with things in in their life that you don't know anything about and you can't know everything about in a very short coaching space. Uh, but there's a lot of trust that goes in. There's a lot of love that has to be present when you're trying to help um, give people information that might enhance their lives and also play in some really sensitive areas. Sometimes that's easier for people to do because it's easier to be sensitive with a stranger than it is with somebody you might be, you know, more familiar with or more intimate with. Um, and you can hear things from a coach that you couldn't hear from somebody you're more familiar with. So there, sure. there's this, there's this, there's this humanity that you need to bring into anything that you do and be prepared for um, some backlash. And there, there have been situations where people have been, you know, large parts of the group are like, yes. And there's one person that's like, no. And it's like, okay, you know, how do you, how do yeah. you handle that? One, and everyone, you know, they may all come with a problem to work on, but everybody's in a different point of their journey. Exactly. You know, as, as part of it. And I think as a great, great coaches, good coaches know how to manage that. Yeah. And, and the big scheme of things. So, so what's, what's, the, what's one of the big misunderstandings about coaching? I think the biggest misunderstanding about coaching, um, um, I think there's a, a couple of things that are misunderstandings. I don't know what the biggest one might be. I think one of the misunderstandings about coaching is like we mentioned earlier, that this one thing is going to fix everything. That coaching is a journey of evolving. It, it should, coaching I think should give you the understanding that this is way deeper than you thought. Here's the tip of the iceberg. Let's get you through that. And then let's continue to chip away at the iceberg. Um, and also managing expectations. Uh, here are some solutions. Some, here are some quick wins, and here are some some grows. And and here are some areas where, like helping people find out where they might be in their own way, but a way that eliminates shame from the conversation, is a 
is a big challenge because you don't have long to profile people often. You have to, to sort of go for it and feel it out and really look for signals. Um, I think the biggest misunderstanding is that there's going to be a quick fix. Um, sometimes there can be some quick solutions that feel very gratifying, but ultimately you are where you are because of a whole bunch of things that led you there. And if you don't deal with those things that led you there, um, oftentimes the quick fix won't be sustainable. Definitely true. So you are one of our Ngomo coaches and um, I've enjoyed, I've benefited from coming to your sessions, um, but tell us a little bit about your coaching community and what the, the learners, our users, yeah, would take away from it. Right. Okay. So my coaching community is called Creative Solutions to Linear Problems, uh, Valuing Autonomous Minds and Collective Ethos, Autonomous Thinking. Um, the the whole and that's, and that's a title. And that is the title. <laughs> yeah. That's well. It's it's got a it's got a a colon in there. So <laughs> so it does. It's uh, create basically creative so solutions to linear problems. A lot of people uh, attack a problem in front of them, like I will do a checklist, I will, I will do this, I will do that, and sometimes the the issue is something that is completely adjacent or not even anything to do with what you thought the problem was, but it's interfering with the progress of of whatever your objective might be. So there are a whole bunch of different ways to look at things rather than them being very binary or finite. Uh, it's this or it's that. And when people find themselves backed into a corner, often they stop thinking creatively because they don't feel yeah. safe. Their safety has been eroded and their ambition um, is, is driving the bus. I need to have this happen. I need to fix this problem. I need to sort this thing out. And sometimes it's like, maybe let's not focus on the problem. Let's focus on what else is happening in your world or how are some playful ways to look at this thing that you think is an issue so that it starts getting them a little bit more distance from the heat of the issue that they're challenged with and a little bit more into a pliable and supple place where they can start seeing other options and other dynamics at play. In, in my community, we, we talk through a lot of things that will help us. And a lot of these things are based on awareness, uh, first of all, of your environment, the people that you're involved with, the different cultures you might be interacting with, um, different value systems, things like eye contact, not eye contact in different cultures. It's great in other cultures. It's very aggressive. Um, understanding how to make space for the world around us is a really huge part of solving any problem, especially when we're in collaboration. If it's more of a personal problem, then it's, it's a bit more of a personal deep dive where, mm -hmm. where we find ourselves in our own contradictions with self and, that's that's a possible thing to do as well is getting in touch with that that contradiction within ourselves and and we all walk around with these massive contradictions in ourselves which leads us to be in you know direct conflict with others when our needs aren't being met when we're in conflict with ourselves and uh, or we're too driven in our objectives so in my community we talk about culture we talk about the climate of the culture we talk about uh, interpersonal relationships. We talk about how to solve problems with people that are in our culture. We talk about how to view our own problems through different creative lenses, different uh, quick tools that are, will be helpful 
when we find ourselves backed into a corner or backing ourselves into a corner or confused about how to collaborate. Um, Values-based, are we attracting our, our collaborators to a sense of being values-based or objective-based? And goals that have no values are very, very snappy and tight and don't leave a lot of room for the humanity. And usually the conflicts come because of the humanity, not because of the goals or, or the, the challenges in the goals. So how do we how do we move our conversation forward as a human being, grow as a human being, feel contributed to by other human beings, contribute to other human beings and and not be in our hot zones, you know, not be in our own way and not be building limitations uh, because we haven't taken care of things that might not seem to be a part of our successes but are actually going to hinder our successes if we don't take care of these other things. I, 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 find, it, I find it interesting um, because you touch on so many different areas in your coaching community that, you know, how you, how you lead, how you interact with others, how, you know, how, how, how do you solve problems, all that sort of stuff. All that sort of stuff. And you, when you, what are, what are some of the, what are some of these areas here that you take really a deep dive into um, while taking, you know, your clients or the learners here on, a co- on, on their coaching journey? So what are these, what are these really stand out um, as you work through this, especially as it ties in, as we said earlier, to, to problem solving? Because having, because I'm, I'm one of your coachees, um, I'm, not, I'm not just a CEO, I'm also a client. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's right. <laughs> And I find it very interesting that you bring up things, and I especially like, I still haven't written a song, by the way, and we'll talk about it in a second. I'm, I try, try, but I'm not a good songwriter. Um, there's a coach there's, for that. There's a coach for that. Um, you bring out so many different areas that I hadn't thought of that mm. tie, to, tie to that. So what are some of the highlights in there? And you know, if you want to put me on the spot, feel free to. So. Sure, sure. Um, I think what you're asking me is to uh, bring up uh, like an example of from uh, a session, perhaps. Sure. What, yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Okay. So um, one of the one of the sessions on values, you know, where do values align, for instance, would be based on the different kinds of culture. We have our superficial culture, we have our mm. surface culture, our deep culture, and then we've got like the really super personal cultural identities like kinship and and society norms and and spiritual beliefs you know being really at the the core of things the superficial things like what you wear how you wear your hair and then there's stuff in the middle what kind of food do you cook what kind of car do you drive what are some of these these surface beliefs but they all kind of trickle down there's a forgive me for not remembering the name of, of, of the, uh, the illustrator. There's a tree that really exemplifies this with the roots and then the trunk and then the branches and these three different layers of culture. Um, often um, there will be misconceptions and misunderstandings that happen between people based on really superficial stuff that is just misunderstood right from the top. And, the fact that we don't know how to communicate about those things is actually a reflection, for instance, of our values. Maybe our values are we were raised to expect people to just do their job. 
So what's, what's an exercise, a quick exercise that we could do to say, you know, I really don't like that so-and-so is always five minutes late for a thing. I was raised to be punctual. 15 minutes is on early is on time. Mm. You know, 10 minutes early is late, you know, or some people that are like, you know, I'm on time. It's you said, but I'm here, but, and that's enough. Um, what are the values that go around that? So an exercise that I would do say there were two people in conflict would say, okay, let's talk about this. Why, why, what is your value system around time? Maybe for some people, I, I, I have a friend of mine who, who literally every time they send an email, they, they clock it. They, they literally chart every second of their day. Like it's a billable hour. I, and, and, and he's very, very specific about being on time and really doesn't like it if people are late. Uh, but he's got a value around what time is for him. Other people that might say, hey, I've got some swing time here. If I'm five minutes late, it's, you know, it's still close enough. Their values might be around accepting that the human condition gets in the way mm, yeah. sometimes and there needs to be some flow. So here an exercise would be, well, let's talk about this. You know, let's talk about what what is your experience around allowing people to have that flow and and having this other per person that really wants to be on time understand it is not um we've been trained to say if you're if you're not on time for somebody that you are disrespecting their time but the other side of that coin too is if somebody's not on time you're disrespecting perhaps their humanity because if they could be on time they probably would have been hmm. so how do we create a space for that conversation to happen? And then talk about other things. Like in this exercise, I would say, tell us about, like, tell me about your childhood or tell me about growing up or tell me about something that you remember uh, around time from when you were in high school or, you know, and, and do the same thing. So they start talking about their stories with one another instead of talking about who's right or who's wrong, because it's not really about right or wrong. It's about, do we have an agreement and was the agreement broken? And if the agreement was broken, do we have forgiveness? Can we have tolerance? You know, how do we create spaces of tolerance and compassion for the human condition and also respect, you know, timelines and boundaries? So that would be an example. That's a great, that's a, time is a great example. Um, Cause I, I'm, I'm one of those like beyond time. Yeah. But I also learn, I think after, after a while that there is reasons people are not on time and, mm -hmm. you know, um, learning to work with that takes time yeah. um, as well. So, yeah. And like, as you were referring to the tree, I, I've seen the same thing done as an iceberg, the stuff you see above the water versus the piece underwater so much bigger than what's on top. It's, it's, it's really interesting. Um, so you've, you've alluded to it a little bit earlier. Um, music is a big part of what you do. <laughs> yes. And I've also noticed that as part of your coaching community, you bring a lot of the analogies and you bring a lot of, sort of musical stuff into it. So where does that come from? You know, how does, you know, how do you do that? So I'm just, I'm just sort of intrigued in the origin of that. Right. Well, um, one of the big things that I do in my life is I work with musicians. I am a musician. I'm a songwriter. I'm a multi-instrumentalist. I'm a, I, I've, I'm a recording artist. I do a lot of those sorts of things. And I work with people primarily um, who are trying to achieve harmony and so the parallel to, from harmony, musical harmony, 
and watching people from all walks of life, all classes, if you want to call it that, I, I hate that word personally, but all, all strata of society uh, working together uh, to, to achieve an objective that isn't about money. It's not about uh, necessarily about prestige. It's not necessarily about um, any, any of the, the usual trappings. What makes music so, so fantastic about watching the human condition happen is that it doesn't know gender. It doesn't know that you're a CEO. It doesn't know that you're homeless. It doesn't know that you've had this kind of a childhood or that kind of a childhood. It doesn't know, you know, what, what, what specific ethnicity you are. It doesn't know any of this stuff And it. Music doesn't care. Mm. Music doesn't care. So there is a certain, there's a certain um, anonymity that comes from cooperating to make music happen. There's a certain part of your, your ego that needs to become anonymous and surrendered to the idea of making harmony with another person. It also means that in doing so, you're making more space to actually let somebody else's persona shine through whatever it is that they bring without judgment. So it, it, it's a great leveler in many, many ways. And if we could take that example and put that into, how do we use that in everyday life? How, how does music become the thing that we are trying to achieve, whether it is actually expressed musically through an instrument or through our voices? How does that concept of harmony, how could that inform everything else that we do in our world, everything else that we do in our lives with other people? How does that work? How can that inform? And I'm finding that there are so many parallels. If we can borrow from this one model and place it over here, people are like, that's amazing. Of course, I want to feel that way. I want to feel creative and I want to feel autonomous and I want to feel like I can collaborate with other people and I want to feel like I'm seeing the best in them instead of looking for where they're in my way or where there's a problem. I want to, to create the value of creating harmony in anything that I do. And that doesn't mean that we disavow chaos because chaos is a part of the creative process. But there are other creative ways to make sure that we're not doing harm to ourselves or other people and continuing to nurture our growth for ourselves and for the people around us. So that's I why find I, a <laughs> I find that jazz sometimes sounds like chaos to me. <laughs> Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. So one of the, one of the other things you bring up a lot is vulnerability mm. um, in a conversation. So, um, and I know that when you're in a leadership position, being vulnerable can be challenging. So, and I definitely understand and appreciate that here. But so, how can how can people in leadership positions be more vulnerable, be more authentically vulnerable, mm. uh, and use that really? as an opportunity to create, to create connection, to create balance in, in their environments. Well, it's interesting that you use those two words in the same phrase when you say authentically vulnerable. And for me, you cannot have authenticity without vulnerability hmm. because there is not a single person on the planet that is not vulnerable. That's true. Uh, so if you are going to be authentic, you need to sort of get in touch with your own vulnerability. Um, it's, it's a really hard thing for people in leadership positions to be vulnerable because you're making decisions. If I show too much vulnerability to my team, do I make them feel insecure 
about where we are going as a team. They're they're relying perhaps on on you or me as a leader to show them uh, steadfastness or and these are all values, steadfastness and stoicism and strength and and what what is strength? Like how do we how do we measure strength? Well, strength is ultimately measured by the perceiver and their value system around what they think strength is. So as a leader, how do we be authentically vulnerable? How do we show vulnerability and authenticity and strength in leadership? It would be by allowing people to see my humanity, copping to my mistakes, or I don't even think of them as mistakes, but copping to the the shortcomings or, or, or the difficulties that I might have and saying, hey, I need help with a thing and allowing somebody else's strength to shine where I feel like I need help. So no leader is complete. No leader is the total package. No leader is the total package. And the more that we can honor as leaders that, hey, I, I don't get to be as great at what I'm doing if I try to be great at everything, I am cheating. I am cheating my potential as a person to grow in the area where I have the most strength. And the vulnerable thing for me personally, Al, is where I have the most of my strength. It terrifies me to try to get better at the thing that I'm actually strongest at, because mm-hmm. the things that I'm not good at, I already know that I'm kind of average at, and I can accept that. I've accepted that. But the thing that I'm really good at there's this this societal pressure for me to be the best at it. And unfortunately, that sometimes creates a lot of anxiety in people that are trying to achieve being the best in class, as it were. And so the areas that I feel that I'm I I'm I already have great strengths in, I also feel incredibly uh, it's daunting because the better you are at a thing, the more you see, the less you know. So if you True. so a vulnerability that I would share with a colleague or somebody that I, I'm in leadership with is you might see me as a visionary. And a lot of people that I work with see me as a visionary and a thought leader and all that stuff. But it's like it's so that that chasm is so endless. It's it's overwhelming. So for me, the vulnerability I can share is I'm just swimming out here in the dark and and I've got some ideas and I think I'm going in this direction, but while I'm busy doing this, I can't be trying to get better at all of these other things. But you know what? You are really, you really shine at this thing that I am really not that great with. Um, Let's compliment one another, you know, let's compliment one another and, and raise up and honor the people that are really strong in areas that are not your, your Zen. And it's okay to share that 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 power with other people i think sometimes leaders feel like if they share power they're somehow making themselves irrelevant and that's a that's a big fear for a lot of leaders yeah they need to get away from that because that's not true (laughs) it's not true uh, that's old old thinking that's old thinking yeah you you're only um how do i say that I'm a very strong believer of not feeling that way, as, as you probably know. But yeah. um, so um, great, great conversation. I enjoy this. Um, but we kind of have to wrap up a little bit. Um, okay. 
before we get into the 10, uh, 10 rapid fire questions, what's sort of the one thing, you know, people never ask you, you always want to talk about it in an interview. Oh, what are the things that people never ask me that I want to talk about in an interview? Um, you mean aside from what's my favorite ice cream? <laughs> oh, I'd like to know that too. <laughs> um, actually, you know what? People never ask me in an interview is um, when not not just about vulnerability, but um, they don't often ask people, and, and people are very afraid to talk about what does it feel like when you don't feel like you're whole, you know, in the quiet dark of the evenings. You know, if you're feeling incredibly insecure, what's it like to be a coach that feels, you know, that experiences insecurity or or lack of safety um, or has, you know, mental mental health um, issues or disabilities? Um, a lot of times some of the creative most creative coaches that I know that I work with um, and that work with me as well all have something else going on in their lives that they've partially been motivated to become a better coach because they have the compassion and understanding of what the, the pain of struggle feels like because they personally know that they struggle with some aspects. And, and coaches don't often get a chance to talk about where they struggle as people mm. um, because we're supposed to be seen as like these authorities that have it all together, but that's absolutely not the truth. <laughs> that's absolutely not. That some coaches might feel differently, but for this coach, that's absolutely not the truth. I can be falling to pieces on the inside and somebody will ask me to step up and can you help me help me with this thing? And I will, I will just like know how to handle this. Learning more compassion for self uh, usually mm. comes for me by practicing compassion for others. And that's a lifelong journey. And people don't really ask me questions about that or ask coaches question about that very often. That's interesting. Um... I've experienced because I have the privilege of working with so many coaches in what I do and and get to know so many of you as part of this process and where it is the show must go on as a coach. And then I'm privileged to know what's going on in some people's personal lives. And it's like, wow, yeah, um, you need to take care of yourself, too. You need to go through your own journey on these other levels, too. It's 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 mind blowing to me sometimes um, mm. how coaches can perform because it's a stage you know, and then have to kind of step back into their own world and work through their own you know, demons. But I think that also makes them stronger as coaches mm. in the big scheme of things. So, um, but I, I do still want to know what your favorite ice cream is. Oh, um, well, I, I am a chocolate buff, but I have to say, um, I also like a good dolce de leche. Not going to lie. But I also like coconut, but I like a combination of things. I'm a, I'm a hard read. It depends on the day. Let me see. That's fair. Where's the wind blowing? Pistachio. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, you know what? Here's a tip for you. Here's a hot tip for everybody out there. Best coaching tip I can ever get give you. Pistachio, a really good pistachio ice cream with a drizzle of maple syrup on it. Just give it a shot. Let me know what you think. I will have to try that because pistachio is my favorite ice cream. Okay. So I will, I will try that next time. Got to add <laughs> so. the little Canadian twist in there. Hey. <laughs> hey. No, no pun intended on that one. <laughs> so be, before we get into our uh, 10 uh, rapid fire questions here, I just want to remind everyone that you're watching or listening to Ask Coach with Ngomo. And my name is Al Wynans. And today I have the privilege of speaking with Coach Mo Field. So, Mo, you ready for the 10 rapid fire questions? I'm ready. 
Hey. Good to go. So what did you want to be when you grew up? A firefighter. What's the best advice you've ever received and why? Um, when you dim your light so other people can shine, the whole world gets darker. Who's your biggest inspiration and why? My mother. She was relentless, a little bit crazy, incredibly creative and talented, and never stopped believing in people. She would believe in people until they believed in themselves. And even then she'd be, by the time you got there, she'd be believing in you even further than that. Oh, that's fabulous. What's the one piece of advice you could share with our audience to uplift them? Don't take yourself so seriously. <laughs> uh, what show are you binge watching right now on your favorite streaming channel? The Sinner. Service? Say it the, again? the Sinner. I haven't heard of that one. Yeah, it's uh, uh, Bill Pullman. Okay. If you weren't a coach, what would you? What would? What would be your ideal occupation? If I wasn't a coach, what would be? I have absolutely no idea. I mean, actually, I, I as I said, I am a musician, so it would be anything musical. And I consider coaching to be a musical activity because it mm -hmm. is all about harmony. So it's an extension of it. But uh, my happy joy place is uh, sitting alone in my studio with my bass. Uh, trying to get into a groove. <laughs> and if Fine. somebody would pay me to do that for a living, I probably would. <laughs> <laughs> By coaching. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, By coaching. <laughs> support, a, support a bass player by their coach. Support a bass player. Well, Tyson, my next question, if you won 10 million bucks tomorrow, what would you do with it? <laughs> <laughs> um, if I won $10 million tomorrow, what I would do with it would probably be um, set up get together with somebody that really knew how to manage money very well uh, and set up a foundation. I would become a philanthropist. That, that actually is my life goal is to become a philanthropist. I would set up a nonprofit organization that would specifically give grants to autistic musicians. Oh, wow. What's the, what's the one thing you do every day that adds to your success? Uh, remember to love especially when I don't feel lovable or when somebody in front of me is showing me that they don't feel lovable. Beautiful. And if you had to eat one meal for the rest of your life, what would it be? French fries. <laughs> I'm speaking to a Belgian, so I know the right answer there. <laughs> we call them Belgian fries. <laughs> no, That's right. Okay, so, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, Mayo or ketchup. <laughs> no, yeah. Poutine, you know, Poutine. French fries. Yeah, French fries, anything, I don't know. I'm just very potato-based person. I, I'm with you on that one. Uh, so last but not least, please finish this statement. Leadership is. Oh, leadership is. Give me one second here. It will come to me. I don't want to overthink it. Leadership is. Well, good leadership is loving kindness. And that is lovely. Um, so thank you. Thank you for sharing with us today. I, I appreciate that a lot. So if people would like to get a hold of you, what's the best way for them to do that? They can find me. Uh, they can come in to Ingomu and um, please join the, uh, the community that I am uh, the coach of, the co coaching community, uh, Creative Solutions to Linear Problems. 
Um, or you can find me, try and find me on Facebook or try and find me on LinkedIn, um, on Instagram as well. Um, not as frequently, um, send me a message on messenger. Um, look me up, look me up, come find me or ask or find Al and ask Al. He'll find we can, me. We can make an introduction. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Mo, for joining me today. I really appreciate it. And I want to invite you, if you're watching and or listening, to next week's December 8th Be More Days. And I'll put some information on the screen here. It's our virtual conference where we will be talking about, yeah, look on the bottom of the screen, bemoredays.com. December 8th, uh, 8 a.m. Pacific time, we'll be talking about you know, how to accomplish your goals in the new year around life, soul, wellness, and work. So there's also going to be a coach job fair after that and a coach networking um, gathering as well. So the, uh, the the event is free. Everyone's welcome. The, you can sign up at bemoredays.com if you want access to the videos after as well. If you can't make it live, sign up as well so you can get the link for the videos. So um, we'll see you again next week, uh, Monday, 1 p.m. Mountain Time, with guest Karen Erasmus and a conversation about how to savvy self-promote yourself, so to speak, and be noticed the right way. So thank you again for being here today. I appreciate you and make it a great day. Thanks, Al. Thank you. Hey, Al.